Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Woodstock City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Woodstock City Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around Woodstock City Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. I want to start by asking you a question. Um, you don't have to answer it out loud. Um, but if you were to write down what you thought or what you think the reputation of Jesus was back in the first century, what would it be? What was the reputation of Jesus back in the day? What was it that people whispered about him? What was it that the insiders and maybe in the outsiders thought of him? Like, what is it that Jesus was known for? One of the great ironies in the Gospels, and we introduced this idea last week, is that Jesus's reputation was incredible with those on the outside of faith and on the outside of religion, but it was not so good with the religious leaders and those on the inside of religion. And one of the reasons why this is such a great irony is because we tend to forget this about Jesus, but he was a Jewish rabbi. Like he was a respected figure in the Jewish society, like to be a rabbi was reserved for the best of the best. Like this is like honor roll status. You know what I'm saying? Like this is like the top of the top. Not anybody could be a rabbi. Like you had to be the smartest in school. You had to be the best at memorizing Torah. You had to be the best of the best at learning how to string together arguments and, and, and logic and reasoning and connecting it back to Torah. Like not anybody could be a rabbi. Jesus was a rabbi. And rabbis, they had followers, they had disciples, every rabbi did, because to follow a rabbi was also the greatest honor. Like if your kid followed a rabbi in the first century, it was like, oh my gosh, our kid has made it, right? And so you had followers and the disciples of, of these rabbis, they, were, they had one goal, to emulate their rabbi, to do everything that their rabbi did. So a rabbi in the first century, man, I mean, it was the most respected, highest esteemed position in the culture. That's who Jesus was. Yet, by his fellow rabbis and by those on the inside, by just about all of his own people, he was hated. And ultimately, it was his own people, the very Jewish community, that ultimately killed him. So what was it about his reputation? Why was he hated so much? I wanna answer that question today. I wanna answer, I wanna talk about his reputation. And ultimately, I wanna answer or talk about why his reputation matters for you and for me, and why, if this church is gonna be a church that joins in on the mission of Jesus, we've gotta take hold and reclaim that reputation that he had back in the first century. And why, if we want to be the church that he is calling us to be, we've got to pay attention. So last week, we kicked off a brand new series called Big Reputation. And in this series, we're talking about just that, our reputations, your reputation, my reputation, the reputation of this church, the church, and even the reputation of Jesus. And we just kind of laid the foundation last week that everybody's reputation matters. No matter who you are, what you do or don't believe about faith, everybody's reputation matters because your reputation is either the thing that helps you earn trust and build influence with others, or it erodes it. Your, your reputation can be a good thing that helps you or it can be an obstacle to trust and influence with others. So no matter who you are, your reputation matters. However, we took it a step further and we said, but for everybody in the room, 
Your reputation matters even more when you represent something bigger than you. Because when you represent something bigger than you, your reputation's impact goes beyond you. And then we took it a step further and said, for the Jesus followers in the room, the reason why your reputation matters and the reason reason why my reputation matters is because the reputation of the church matters. Because the reputation of Jesus matters. And there is a world watching the way that we live and the way that we treat people and making assumptions about God, the church, and even Jesus himself. And so I introduced a question that I've been personally wrestling with for quite some time and a question that I want our church to wrestle with as well. And this was the question that we introduced last week. How can we begin to repair the reputation of the local church? How can you and I begin to repair the reputation? Because ultimately, if we're gonna repair the reputation of the church, it starts with those who make up the church. Even if Woodstock City isn't part of the problem, I want us to be a part of the solution. And so today, as we continue the conversation, the reputation of Jesus. What was it? I wish I could just ask a bunch of people, especially people that have faith, that don't have faith. If you had to guess, if you had to put together what you thought the reputation of Jesus was, I wonder what it would be. We don't have to guess though, because Jesus tells us, literally his own words, Luke chapter seven, he tells us what his reputation was in the first century. Luke chapter seven, verse 34, Jesus says this. He refers to himself in the third person. You can do that if you're God. He says, The son of man came eating and drinking and they, the Pharisees, they, the religious elite, they, the the religious leaders of the day, they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What was Jesus known for? What was Jesus's reputation? He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He was a friend to those on the outside of religion. He was a friend to the marginalized. He was a friend to those that were far from God. And to the religious, this was a derogatory statement. But for Jesus, it was explanatory of his mission. For the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, this personified their rejection of anybody on the outside of their religion But for Jesus, it was a reflection of his heart for those that were far from God. Back in the first century, religion was a system of exclusion. It was a way to draw a line in the sand and say, you belong, but you don't. You can be in, but you can't. If you don't believe like us, if you don't live like us, if you don't act like us, then you are excluded. You're not welcome here. And so back in the first century, these sinners and these tax collectors, we'll talk about more of them in just a second. And even back in the first century Judaism, if you were born with any kind of deformity or or if you had any kind of struggle, oftentimes what they would think is, oh, well, there must be some kind of generational sin causing this deformity. So you are also excluded. You are ritually unclean. So you're out. And so in that first century culture that when we open up the pages of the New Testament and when Jesus walked and what kind of atmosphere he was walking into, It was you sinners and you tax collectors. You can't walk with us. You can't eat with us. You can't do life with us. You can't be seen with us. We can't hang out. You can't go to synagogue with us. No, I'm not going to save you a seat in the front row. And you certainly do not have the approval of God that we have. Religion was a tool used to let people know that they did not 
be long. And the unfortunate reality today is that sentiment still rings true of the church. That sentiment rings truer than it should. Because there are people on the outside of church, and maybe you're one of these people. Maybe this is a thought that you've had. Maybe it's a miracle that you are here or watching or listening online today. Because there are people who are on the outside today thinking, I'm too broken to go to church. I'm not good enough for church. I don't wanna hang out with the religious elitists because I don't want to feel inferior or less than that my story is too messed up, that I will never be loved because of the decisions that I've made, the things that I've done, or the lifestyle that I'm leaving. I'll never be accepted. The shame is too great. In fact, just last week, I'm having a conversation with somebody with tears in their eyes telling me, I don't feel like I can walk in a church because I feel like everyone is looking saying, I know what you did. The shame runs deep. And when Shame starts to lead the way. We start to believe the lies that maybe, maybe I'm not good enough. I have to stay away. And for so many people on the outside, those feelings of not feeling like belong can be connected, starts to become callous and it turns into anger and suddenly everything about who Jesus is and what the church is about is against them, not for them. And if I could just, lean in to those of us that call yourselves a Jesus follower. Those are what people on the outside are thinking, but maybe as well, I would imagine that for those on the inside, maybe we've had moments where we too have thought, yeah, to belong here, yeah, you need to believe like us. You gotta think like us. You gotta live like us. You've gotta change to, to be able to fit in here. You've gotta get it together in order to belong. It's so easy. In fact, I've found that the longer you tend to follow Jesus, the easier it is to fall into that thinking. Because if religion was a system of exclusion to say you don't belong in the family of God, Jesus burst onto the scene into the New Testament and he used relationship as a pathway to inclusion into the family of God. A friend Sinners. Jesus, who was both fully God, yet here we see a beautiful, the beautiful human side of Jesus, a friend. Someone who took a special interest in the marginalized. Someone who saw the hurting in those that were burned by religion and was a friend, even at the expense of his own reputation with his colleagues, with his fellow rabbis, and with the religious leaders of the day. And if... This is not our heart for the people in this world and in our community. We are missing it. There's this incredible, incredible picture of Jesus living this out and us seeing his heart um, in Luke chapter 19. We're gonna be looking at um, uh, Jesus' interaction with a man named Zacchaeus. If you grew up in church, maybe you've heard about Zacchaeus before. He was a wee little man. Um, I, don't, I didn't grow up in church, so I don't know the song. I'm sure it's on Spotify or something. Um, but... Um, it's one of the most beautiful interactions I think Jesus has with somebody on the outside, quote unquote, of religion. We're gonna pick up the story in Luke chapter 19, looking at verse two. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So right off the bat, we learn about Zacchaeus that he was a tax collector. 
Now you gotta understand something about tax collectors. They were hated in the Jewish community. Like, did you remember Jesus, what his reputation was? A friend of sinners and tax collectors. Like it was like, they're so bad when we're writing the New Testament, they've gotta have their own category, okay? Like we're not gonna, we're not gonna lump them into sinners. No, 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 you've got tax collectors and then everybody else. And the reason why they were so hated and the reason why they were so bad was because these tax collectors, they were Jewish people who collected taxes for Rome But what they would do is because they were backed by the power of Rome, they would collect more taxes than they actually needed, more money than they actually needed. So they would give Rome what what their share was and then they would pocket the rest. And nobody could tell them not to because they were backed by the power of Rome. So they're collecting taxes from their own people, from their neighbors, from their Jewish comrades and compatriots, and they're getting rich off of their own people. They were sellouts of the worst kind. Two-faced, everybody hated tax collectors because they were getting wealthy off of their own people. And Zacchaeus, this man was the chief. The only time we read about a chief tax collector, this man had a pyramid scheme of tax collectors under him. He had tax collectors working for him. Like I'm telling you, like I think Zacchaeus is like the Al Capone of the New Testament. Like that's just what he was. He was running things and I don't even mean that as a joke. I'm being serious. This man's reputation would not have been one that anybody would have wanted to associate with. He was hated to the nth degree. So here's Zacchaeus, the worst of the worst. And then watch this, what we learn about Zacchaeus next. Looking at verse three. He, Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was. So here's the worst of the worst, but he heard that Jesus is coming through and he wants to see Jesus. But because, this is so funny, because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Wee little man. I'm a wee little man too. Um, I can't tell you how many times I talked to one of you guys after the service. And you're like, ah, oh, you look taller on stage. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. Um, because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So here is Zacchaeus. He can't see anything. This man has never gotten on a ride of Six Flags, okay? And that a, struck a chord with some of y'all, I'm sorry. Um, and he just wants to see Jesus. He hears that Jesus is coming and he's heard about Jesus. And so with no shame, reckless abandon, he just climbs up a tree in order to see him. Like he doesn't care about the insecurity. People are probably looking and laughing. He doesn't care about any of that. No, 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 no. He's gonna do whatever it takes. He's gonna put his pride on the line. He's not gonna act like he's too cool to do this. He's gonna do whatever it takes to get a glimpse of Jesus because he'd heard about this rabbi. He'd heard about his teachings. He'd heard about the miracles. He'd heard about the kindness. He had heard that this rabbi was just built different. And he just wanted to get a glimpse. I find this fascinating. There was something so irresistible and compelling about Jesus that the worst of the worst wanted to see him. They had heard about him. They wanted to get around him and they were gonna do whatever it took in order to make it happen. And Zacchaeus wanted nothing more than just to see him, maybe catch a glimpse of what brand tunic 
or sandals this rabbi from Nazareth was wearing. But then the unthinkable happens. Verse five, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to the guest of a sinner. Don't miss this. Zacchaeus climbs this tree. Get this picture in your head. He just wants to see Zacchaeus. Jesus. He's probably leaning over a branch just to try to see him. And here Jesus is walking by. Then Jesus gets to the spot. Zacchaeus, all he wanted to, to do was to see Jesus. But then watch this. The unthinkable happens. Jesus sees Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but then Jesus sees Zacchaeus. He doesn't just look at him. No, no. He sees him. And the difference between looking at someone and seeing someone is the difference between hearing someone and listening to someone. And I'm married, so I understand the difference. I can't tell you how many times I'm sitting at the kitchen counter talking to my wife. I'm hearing her. I'm playing a game on my phone that I'm way too old to be playing. And we get done and she asks me follow-up questions and I've got nothing. Why? Because I wasn't listening. I wasn't engaging with what she was saying. I wasn't processing what she was saying. Seeing somebody To see someone is to intentionally engage with them. To see someone is to initiate relationship with someone. To see someone is to care for them. To see someone is to love. And Jesus could have just looked. He could have just looked up and laughed as he walked by. He could have just looked up and ignored as he walked by. But instead, he chose to intentionally engage. He stopped what he was doing and he chose to see Zacchaeus. Remember, Jesus is still God. So he sees Zacchaeus, and you gotta understand, he sees all of Zacchaeus. He knows all the bad. He knows all the sin. He knows all the money that he's stolen. He knows how big the bank account is um, at the expense of other people. He knows about all the racketeering. He knows about all of it. Yet he chose to see him, to engage with him, to invite himself over to Zacchaeus' house. This was an intimate invitation. You gotta get this. For Jesus to go over to his house and to share a meal with Zacchaeus was a super intimate way to engage with Zacchaeus. I want you to think about somebody coming over to your house and maybe that's like, okay, yeah, you're gonna tidy up and you wanna clean up and they come over. Maybe that feels a little bit intimate, but then I want you to imagine somebody comes over and you're having dinner and they're like, oh, cool, can I like see your bedroom? Uh, That's weird. You know what I mean? Like, There's a lot of intimacy, like, no, you can't, no, that's not, no, we're not like that. You know what I'm saying? That feeling, right, that intimacy, it's like, "Ah, I don't know. Multiply that by like a thousand. To share a meal with somebody back there in Jewish culture in the first century, it was so intimate. In fact, here was the principle that was at play. Watch this. Whenever you shared a meal with somebody back in the first century, to share a meal is to share a life. This was the principle. This was the thinking. You didn't just sit down and have a meal with anybody. No, no, having a meal with them, going to spend time with them at their house, it meant fellowship intimately. It meant acceptance of each other. And it meant identifying yourself as 
a friend. There were social values and hierarchical boundaries that controlled such occasions. This wasn't oh, just flippant invitation. In fact, this is even how far it went back in the first century that a Jewish person, they had to make sure the food they were eating was ritually clean. That started to spill over to where whoever they were eating with also had to be ritually clean. And let me just tell you, Zacchaeus would not have been considered clean. And here's Jesus, this rabbi, showing up and saying, hey, I'm gonna go to your house. I hear you make incredible guac. Anyone who bucked this system like Jesus did would have been considered, watch this, an enemy of social stability. An enemy of social stability. The mission of Jesus put him at odds with social stability of the day. And now you can begin to understand just a little bit more clearly how polarizing this invitation was and why the two responses of everybody involved were also so opposite. You've got Zacchaeus, remember? He's freaking out. The text tells us that he, is, um, he, he comes down gladly welcoming Jesus. That word gladly literally means rejoicing. The dude is doing backflips on the inside. He just wanted to see Jesus. And now he's gonna go get to hang out with him at his house. This was way beyond Zacchaeus' expectations. But then you've got the onlookers on the other side and they were disgusted because this was not normal. This was not customary. This was sandpaper up against their theology. Watch this. This was against their religion. Because people like Jesus were not supposed to build relationships with people like Zacchaeus. And people like Zacchaeus did not belong with people like Jesus. Or so they all thought. So Zacchaeus is hearing all this commotion. I'm sure the disciples are like, oh, not again, Jesus, you do this every time. Can we have a chill trip once? how Zacchaeus responds, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Remember Luke chapter seven, the son of man is a friend of sinners and tax collectors. Jesus, yeah because the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus wanted to make loud and clear to all the onlookers watching and to all of us today that the invitation to belong into the family of God was for everyone. And here he declares Zacchaeus was now a part of the family. The person that was on the outside the most in the eyes of everybody watching now finds himself on the inside. And what was the catalyst? Jesus, the friend of sinners, saw him. Jesus, the friend of sinners, sought him out. Jesus, the friend of sinners, took a genuine interest in him. Jesus, the friend of sinners, loved him. And don't lose sight of this. Before Zacchaeus offered to give anything back, Jesus pursued him. 
Before we had any inkling that Zacchaeus was going to change anything about his behavior, Jesus saw him. Before he gave anything back that he stole, Jesus sought him out. Jesus, with that invitation, said to Zacchaeus, hey, you can belong with me even before you believe in me. Jesus was not interested in using religion and allowing religion to be the thing where we draw the line in the sand and decide who is in and who isn't. No, no, no. Jesus came in and said, you can keep your religion. I'm gonna offer you something better, a relationship. You can keep your religion. I'm gonna offer you a relationship that is a pathway that makes a way to be included in the family of God. It's where he got his reputation. But this isn't just like a cool, fun story. No, for you and for me, this is an invitation into that mission. This is an invitation into being a part of what Jesus was doing and the new that he was introducing. This is an invitation for you and I to build a place and to build a church and to be the kind of people that can say to anyone on the outside, anyone that's marginalized, anyone that finds themselves feeling like they do not belong, it is now our job to communicate the heart of Jesus, which is this. That regardless of what you believe or don't believe, regardless of what you do or don't do, regardless of what you've done or haven't done, regardless of the doubts, regardless of the struggle, regardless of the story, regardless of the sin, regardless of the past or the present, this place and this space is where you can believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that you belong. But here's what's true. It's never going to be true in here if we collectively don't make it true in here and out there. So where do we start? And what do we kind of take out of this story to make it practical for you and for me? Here's where we start. And this is for everybody in the room and everybody watching. Ready? Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. He sees all of you. He sees the sorry. He sees the struggle. He sees the sin. He sees the shame. He sees all of it. And if I could just speak just for a moment to those of you that are Jesus followers in the room and you would consider yourself to be a Christian and a believer, can I just speak to you for a moment? The irony in the story that we just saw between Jesus and Zacchaeus is that the religious people, they thought they were good. They thought they were fine but they were the most lost people in the story at the end of it. Because what the Pharisees failed to understand is that they too had a need for Jesus. They too had a deep need for Jesus and they failed to understand that they were never gonna be good enough for God on their own, that they were never going to be able to do enough good things to have right standing with God. They failed to understand that they too were the sinners and tax collectors that Jesus wanted to befriend. They just thought they were good without him. But can I just tell you, if you're a Jesus follower, we cannot go another day forgetting our desperate need for Jesus. 
We all need Jesus. Here's the great thing about the the kingdom of God and how the church is supposed to operate and how this one is going to operate. There is no hierarchy. There is no I'm better than you or you're better than me because we all need Jesus the same. Paul, the apostle, a sinner that Jesus befriended, Peter and Matthew and John that we read about in the gospels, sinners that Jesus befriended, me, Samer Massad, the lead pastor of Woodstock City Church, a professional Christian, a sinner that Jesus befriended, your grandma that you think is perfect, a sinner that Jesus befriended, you, a sinner that Jesus befriended. Can I just tell you, if you're a Jesus follower, if we lose sight of our desperate need for Jesus, we are not going to be able to effectively reflect the heart of Jesus to others that don't know him yet. And when we fail to understand our deep need for Jesus, watch this, that's when the hierarchy starts to jump in. That's when the religion starts to jump in. That's when we accidentally start drawing a line in the sand and say, you're in or you're out. But when we all need Jesus the same, that's a different conversation. And for those of you in the room that are not Jesus followers, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you're curious, you're checking things out, really glad that you're here. Can I just tell you, Jesus sees you. Can I just tell you, I don't know what your experience has been and I wanna apologize on behalf of any church or Christian that's ruined it for you, but can I just tell you, Jesus is for you. Jesus isn't afraid of your struggles and the story And the sin, he's not afraid of the mess. No, 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 Jesus is ready to run towards it. That he, you've been on his radar way before he was even on yours. And Jesus made a way for you to belong. Jesus made a way for you to belong in the family of God. And there isn't anything special about anybody in this room today because Jesus made a way for all of us. Because the truth is, none of us belong. But Jesus made a way so that everyone could belong. I just need you to hear. Jesus sees you. And he's not worried. He's not afraid. He sees you. And he wants to love you. And so if we understand our desperate need for Jesus... We're confident that Jesus sees us, forgives us, extends grace to us. So then what's our response? It's real simple. To see as Jesus sees. To see as Jesus sees. To see as Jesus sees is to pay attention to those on the outside to love the marginalized, to befriend those on the outside, to see as Jesus sees is to love, is to pursue those that we disagree with, to intentionally invest and build relationships with those that are far from God and don't know Jesus. To see as Jesus sees is to slow down long enough to where we can look up and see someone rather than just look and keep on going. 
And look, let's just make this real practical. To see as Jesus sees is to learn the names of the people that live on your street. Learn their story. Is Jesus a part of it or not? Because maybe you're a part of that. Maybe you can be a part of that story changing. Ah, Sam, I got a big street. Okay, fine. Just go five houses on each side. Just start there. To see as Jesus sees is to, is to be intentional with the parents on your kid's soccer team. To see as Jesus sees is to take a genuine interest in the lives of those that you work with. Not just because you're nice, yeah, that's great, but because we wanna see as Jesus sees, that we wanna turn away from those that are different than us, turn from those that are living radically different than anything we would even believe or agree with. No, we would turn to see as Jesus saw. And can I just be real with you guys? Look, this will be uncomfortable at times. To love someone that you totally disagree with to love someone that you've secretly judged in your heart. I mean, this, is, this will get uncomfortable. In fact, if we're doing it right, it should be a little uncomfortable and awkward for us. In fact, if we're doing it right, maybe, just maybe, there'll be some other Jesus followers at another church that might start to look at us the way the Pharisees looked at Jesus. Because can I just tell you, we have the opportunity of a lifetime here at Woodstock City to create a movement of belonging, a movement of belonging that sweeps across generational differences, that sweeps across this city, that sweeps across theological differences, that sweeps across political differences, that sweeps across the hearts of this city and captures the hearts of those that have no idea Jesus is for them. But if we aren't open to those that are nothing like us, if we turn a blind eye and draw a line to the sand to those that aren't living like us or believe like us, how in the world are we gonna change the world? We have an opportunity to create the types of environments and spaces where people can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that they belong. But we need each other to do it because it's never gonna be true in here, like I said earlier, if it's not true in here and out there, in your living room, in your homes, in your neighborhoods, and in your families. This church, the church, should be the safest, most authentic place of community on the planet where nobody ever has to question what they're going to walk into and whether or not there will be a place for When I was in college, you know, I think it was my junior year, I was walking into my first day of microeconomics. And y'all remember this. Like you never, it's always like something to walk into the first day of class. You know, who am I gonna know? Am I gonna meet my wife? I didn't that day. But I walk in and I, I see someone that I went to high school with. And we weren't really friends. He, he knew of me and I knew of, of him. His name was Jake and we, we, um, he was a year older than me and he knew that I followed Jesus. I knew that he didn't. It was all good, but we just, we knew of each other in that way. So I walk in and I just do what guys do and I'm like, came the head nod thing, you know, like that. No words, sat down, did my thing, went on with my day. I get home later that day and one of my roommates, I live with three roommates, we all live together. And he, he walks into my room, he's like, hey Sam, I gotta apologize for something. And I was like, 
You've been stealing my nature value bars. I get it, I get it. <laughs> he says, hey, listen, I need to apologize to you. Um, I failed to defend your honor today. And I was like, my honor? Am I your princess? Like, what are you talking, you know, like, what are you talking about? And he says, listen, I, I ran into to Jake on campus. I was like, oh yeah, I saw him in my, I saw him in my, my, my economics class. He's like, yeah, he mentioned that too. And I was like, what? And I told him that we lived together and, and he goes, oh yeah, 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 that religious bleep. I saw him in class today. And he said, and I didn't stand up for you. I was like, religious bleep? You can fill in the blank with whatever word you want. It's probably not as bad as what he said. I was like, why? I, I never even really talked to him. It, like, I, you know, it's not like in high school, I ran around throwing Bible at his feet and like baptizing him with a bad Dasani water bottle. Like, I don't, I don't know what I did to deserve that title. But I was like, okay, all right, I'm gonna walk into class. I'm gonna show you religious bleep, bruh. <laughs> so I walk in and I was like, hey, I heard what you said. I'm kidding, I didn't. Look at me, are you joking? I just remember walking in angry. I was like, yeah, whatever. That guy's a jerk. He has no idea. I'm just gonna ignore him. So I walk in that, that next day, and again, I do the same thing. The head nod. And he gives me one back. Next week, same thing. Head nod. Head nod back. We do the head nod thing for like three weeks. And then we get to about a month in, and that head nod turns into like a, what's up, bro? Nothing. What's up? couple of weeks of the sup bro thing happen. Us men, we're very, very sophisticated creatures. And then eventually the, the sup bro turned into, how, how you doing? I'm good. How's your homework? Yeah, yeah, We're about two months into the semester. I'm not kidding. I'll never forget this. He was sitting back left behind me, one row back. And we're sitting there talking. He goes, hey, well, why don't you come sit by me? I was like, okay, yeah, cool. Go back. But two and a half weeks, two and a half months into the semester, we exchanged numbers. You know, we're kind of doing assignments together. We're texting, we're building a relationship. And then about three months into the semester, we're, we're getting kind of close to like end of October, November. And, you know, we're talking about what his job is. And he asked me what I do. And I was like, oh, well, actually, I, I intern at this church in the area. It's called Athens Church. And yeah, you know, just, it's, it's fun. He goes, oh, that's cool, man. I've, I, I've, I have some questions. It's like, oh, that's cool. I mean, you ever, ever, no, no pressure, ever want to come? You know, let me know, man, it'd be awesome. He's like, cool. A couple weeks go by. And he's like, hey, Samer, um, you, you said I could come to church with you at one day. You, you, think that, you think that'd be cool? And I'm like freaking out on the inside. But I'm not gonna be weird. You know, I'm not gonna be like, okay, let me pray for you real quick. You know, right? like, I, I gotta be kind of cool about it. So I'm like, I'm, I'm doing the backflip on the inside, but on the outside, I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. Sure, yeah, 9, 11, what'd you do 11? Sleep in, get breakfast, yeah. So I'm thinking, he's, he's not gonna come. I was like, just text me when you get there. I'll never forget, I'm sitting in a, in a leader meeting because I was volunteering with, I was working with the, serving with the student ministry and he texts me right before the 11 o'clock. He's like, hey, I'm here. I'll never forget. We were, it was a set up and tear down church and we were meeting in like this conference center. So I had to run through some escalators and a couple different hallways to get there. And then before I turn the corner, I'm like, okay, don't let him know you're running. And then I just walk up and I meet him and he's so excited. And and we sat in church together. And he heard about the love of Jesus like never before in his life. 
And as I think back at it, maybe he thought I was a religious bleep because no one ever saw him. Maybe I was a religious bleep because no Jesus follower ever sought him out, ever befriended him, ever cared about him as a person. And that day, he got to hear about Jesus, the friend of sinners and tax collectors. So can I just ask you a question? Who needs you to see them? Who needs you to see them? Who have you written off? Who have you judged as ignorant? Who have you ignored? Who have you just considered as hopeless? Who have you just decided there's no way anything could ever happen in their life? Who is it that needs your time? Who is it that needs your attention? Who is it that needs your investment? Who is it that needs an invitation? Who is it that needs to know they belong? Can I just push? Who is it that you would be embarrassed if they came with you to church? Can I just tell you here, you don't need to be embarrassed because that's not the church that we're going to be. So who needs you to see them? Let's go see them. Let's go love them like Jesus loved us. Let's go show them the heart of Jesus. I said, man, look, we'll figure all that out later, but can I just tell you, I'm gonna see you. I'm gonna be for you. I'm gonna be your friend. And I'm gonna reflect the heart of Jesus. And I'm gonna make sure that you know you can So let's go see as Jesus sees. And and just a second, we're gonna sing one more song, but before we do, for those of you in the room, you've never placed your faith in Jesus before. You're walking in the room and you've just kind of been curious and you're just trying to figure this whole thing out. Can I just tell you real quick, Jesus sees you and he came to die for you that we know Jesus was a friend of sinners, not just because he dined with them, but because he died for them. He died for you and he died for me and he died on the cross for our sins and he went to the grave and then he rose from the grave three days later so that whoever would put their, their faith in Jesus would have a relationship with their heavenly father. So if you're in the room this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, can I just tell you that he's available to you? Can I just tell you that that relationship is available to you? Can I just tell you that placing your faith in Jesus doesn't require you to do anything or be anyone? other than believe that what he's done for you on the cross to save you from your sins is enough. Jesus sees you, he sees me. So let us go be the kind of church that builds up a big reputation that screams, you belong here. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your love. We're so grateful that you loved us first. We're grateful that you made a way when there was no way. So Father, would you give us as a response to that love, the courage to be that love to a world that is hurting, to a world that needs to know who Jesus really is. Would you give us the eyes to see as Jesus would see and the courage in the heart to love as Jesus loved. It's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. A.